Good morning this morning. Man, what a wonderful day to be in the house of the Lord. If that last song didn't get you, I don't know what will because that's why I'm here this morning. I'm here to give God the honor and praise that he deserves. And I just come into his presence. God, I'm here this morning to give you praise. God, I'm not here because of me. I'm here because of you and everything that you've done. And all this morning has led up and to this point, the word that God gave me today, and I'm just so thankful for the way that he works and the things that he does. It's nothing that I do or could do, but it's everything that he has already done and continues to do. So if you would please bow your heads with me this morning as we say a word of prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, God, how truly wonderful it is to gather in your presence this morning. God, I'm thankful for that opportunity, Lord, that I have direct access through your Son, Jesus Christ, and the sacrifice that he made on the cross, Lord. Lord, I pray that every heart and mind is here this morning to experience your presence. God, that we all came to fall on our face this morning and, and deem ourselves unworthy, God, and to lift your name even higher. God, I pray for the renewing of your spirit in each and every person here this morning. God, I pray that this morning, today, Lord, that we can get rid of all that worldly trash that surrounds our minds and enters our body, God, and that we could cast everything out in your name, Lord, and fill us with your Holy Spirit. God, I pray for the ones that don't know you this morning, God, that today might be that day. God, I pray for the ones that do know you, but haven't walked in a way to show that they know you, God, that you might change their life today. God, I pray for myself and my family this morning, Lord, that you might change us, Lord, that you might renew us today. God, as we enter into your presence, God, to, to read your word, to learn more about you, Lord, to seek your face. God, I pray that you would put a change in us today. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I'm going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 starting out this morning. Um, it it's cracks me up because Sunday school this morning we talked about you know knowing God's will versus what we want to do and, and trying to distinguish the difference between what we want and what God wants. You know, and basically, it boils down to the fact that we don't always know what God wants, but our obedience is key in, in finding out what God wants from us. We've heard some of the things that he does want from us. And we kind of established this morning as, as futile and as small-minded as, as our class is. I'm speaking myself in general um, that... The Bible lays out things in his word, you know, of things that he would have us do and things that he wouldn't have us do. And that's kind of a basis for where we can start in looking if that is God's will or our own. You know, I, I wish God would have willed me with, you know, more money and less good looks. But here we are. I'm just good looking. So. But no, this morning, I, I, we overcomplicate the gospel. 
We overcomplicate the gospel. And I'm going to start reading in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 18. And he says, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is the power of God. I come to you this morning who has ever tried to overcomplicate things. I, I, I've done it. I've been there in trying to explain what I believe. And the fact of the matter is, is what I believe isn't what everybody else believes. So when I'm talking to somebody that doesn't believe, I can't be mad at them because they don't believe the same thing that I believe. And, and that's basically where we want to start out is, is mad because they don't think the same way that we think. And so we jump into defense mode and we want to defend our beliefs versus explaining them because we love them and we care about a perishing soul that is being lost in the darkness forever. And so we want to jump into defense mode because they don't think the same way we think. Well, I've got a statement for you. Christ doesn't think the same way that we think. But yet Christ hasn't given up on us, and, and Christ never did give up on us. And as a matter of fact, he gave his life that you might choose him. Christ doesn't think the way we think, and we were blind until the day we accepted Christ, but now we can see. Christ wasn't mad at us because for what we didn't know. Christ loved us and cared about us because of what we didn't know. That's why he will leave the 99 that knows to go find the one that doesn't know. Because he cares about the ones that don't know, the ones that think it's foolishness. He wants to give them that word. We need to go out and we need to plant that seed because we love those that are perishing as Christ loved us as we were perishing. And he brought the gospel and he brought his life as a sacrifice because he cared for us, do we care for the lost? Do we want to talk down to them because they don't know the same things that we know? Do we want to get mad at them and defensive to them because they don't believe the same things that we believe? Or do we want to show them God through love, caring, and compassion? I'm not asking you to waver the things that you believe, but I'm asking you to show them the things that you believe. Because all too often as a church we run down a, a don't do list without ever giving them love, grace, mercy, and compassion. We want to run them through a list of you shouldn't go theirs, you shouldn't talk like this, you shouldn't do that without showing them what we are for, what Jesus Christ stood for. We want to jump to the defensive and we want to tell them how bad they are. I believe in my own mind that's quite the opposite of what Christ would have done if I was to stand in his presence. He would have told me what I could be. He would have told me about his grace, and he would have told me about his mercy, and he would have told me about his compassion and his love for me as I stood there in my wickedness. He would have loved me. You know that song earlier this morning says, My sins held him on that cross. Not the people that came before me, not the people that will come after me. My personal sins held him on that cross. Yet he loved me so much, he was willing to stay there 
until it was done. When we're telling somebody about the gospel, do you love them enough to hang there in their sin long enough until they understand? I'm not saying every situation deserves you to hang out and take a while and and take a beating, but I'm saying that, that Christ died for me so that it could take years for me to come around to what he was trying to get me to see. And he loved me the entire time when I would take and I would trample his name and I would take him places that he shouldn't have been taken. He still loved me enough to give his life for me. So we can't be mad and they're foolish and they're unknown because they don't know what they don't know. And running them down a list of don't do's without showing them love and compassion and mercy and telling them what we stand for and not what we stand against all the time is how we're going to reach a lost world. For far too many years the church has stood on the don't do list. And they want to condemn everybody for what everybody outside is doing without doing anything to change that. They want to point a finger and say, you shouldn't be doing that, instead of showing them what they should be doing. This hits home to me a lot, because I want to be a lover of Christ, and I want to show people that love, mercy, and compassion that Christ showed me. And all too often I jump on the defense because... Don't talk about my God like that. And you shouldn't be doing that. And I'm, I'm doing better than what you're doing. My Bible says that we all come up short of the glory of God. So we've leveled the playing field. Because I'm just as guilty in my sin as they are in theirs. The fact is, is that I have a little bit of knowledge and wisdom that God has gave me. That Christ died for me. And I need to share that with them with all the love and compassion that my mentors and my parents and my grandparents shared it with me. Not everybody has a grandparent or a parent that will stand in the gap and share them the gospel. You might be that. But if we stand there mad at them because of what they don't know, they will never understand why God sent his son In verse 19 it says, For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and I will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. Verse 23, but we preach Christ crucified. It's pretty simple. I'm going to walk you down the path. There's certain things that you have to know, and there's certain things that every Christian should know. And there's certain things that every Christian should be standing before an unbeliever and should know if they're asking questions. In John 14, verse 6, it says, Jesus saith unto them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Every Christian should know that. Every Christian should be able to tell somebody else that there is one way to the Father. And that is through the Son. 
Romans chapter 10, starting in verse 8, but it says, What saith it? The word is nigh to thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart, that is the word of faith which we preach. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. We don't have to jazz it up. We don't have to glorify it. God did everything that he needed to do to save a lost soul like me. We as Christians need to know the basics. We need to know that salvation is simple. We need to know where salvation comes from. We need to know who sent his son to die for us. We need to be able to convey this to other people. We want to jazz it up and we want, to, we want to make it more complicated than it is like we've done something. But that's the first thing God did was take it out of the flesh and make it all him that we shouldn't glorify. Because he doesn't want us to boast, but still yet, him taking everything from us in salvation, we still try to lay holds onto it because we want to add stuff to it. Well, you got to do this, and, and you got to do this, and, and these things over here, you can't do these, and you can't do this, and, but you got to do that, and you got to be here, and you got to be there, and you got to listen to this person, but don't listen to this person. Wow, that seems awful complicated, and if I didn't know what God has allowed me to know, I would be like, I ain't messing with that mess. I'm doing all right, you know. I, I live a pretty simple life. I don't need all that mess in my life. But if somebody asks you the question, Jesus Christ is my hope. Why? Because John fourteen six tells me that there's only one way to the Father, and that's through His Son. Well, what do I got to do to get to know the Son? Romans. Chapter 10, starting in verse 8. If you believe with your heart and confess with your mouth, thou shalt be saved. They don't need to know everything that you know about the Bible. They don't need your biblical knowledge. They need Jesus Christ, Savior. They don't need to know this cover, this book from cover to cover to receive Jesus Christ as Savior. But we try to complicate it. We kind of we try to jazz it up. If I'm if I'm running down lists of things that I should do and, and shouldn't do without telling them directly that there's one way and how to get there, everything else is me. I'm trying to make it about me. I'm trying to impress them with my knowledge. I'm trying to impress them with the way I do things. I'm trying to invoke world teachings on them and my traditions and what I was raised in and what I believe. But we don't have to jazz it up. God did everything that is sufficient for salvation. God did it all. He did everything that he needed to do that we might know him. And that is giving his son to die on a cross for our sins. So when we approach other people, they don't need to know all this right up the front. We don't need to turn them off because of our traditions. We don't need to turn them off because of us telling them the things that we don't do anymore. We need to turn them on by telling them what God has done for me. 
God is exciting. My wife came back this weekend from a conference that was lasted three days where she heard speakers and praise music. And I can assure you that I've been to light conferences with people of eight and nine and 10,000 people. They're pursuing God and there is power and there is strength in numbers and you can feel the presence of God. And that's what we need to convey to people that don't believe, you need to share with them the excitement and the power and the restoration process if you were there on Wednesday night. If you were there on Wednesday night at Fields of Faith, you would have heard testimony after testimony of people, of, of Jesus and God restoring lives and restoring foundations and restoring hope and restoring love and rejuvenating people and pulling people out of the darkness. And they're real stories. They're real stories with people that you know. Let's not forget that all of us were sinners. Let's not forget that Jesus came and found us where we were at because He loved us. You and all your wretchedness. But a lot of times we want to think more of ourselves than what we should. Verse 24 in 1 Corinthians says, But unto them which are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men. And the weakness of God is stronger than men. God on his worst day, if he has a worst day, I don't know. God on any day, let's put it like that. God on any day is smarter, stronger, and more powerful than everybody in this world combined. So when you think you know something, and you think you want to step out on your own, You know, last week I talked about Jesus Christ being the cornerstone. It has a lot to do with this. Because it doesn't matter who we think we are. It matters if you're a child of the king. I think I can be pretty bad, and I think I can be pretty good, and I think that I can, and I think that I can, but I know that I'm a child of the king. That's what matters. The wisdom of this world will take you six feet underground, just like everybody else's wisdom. The knowledge and the wisdom that this world has to offer will end in death and a burial, and it'll stop right there. It goes about six feet down. The wisdom and the knowledge that God provides is an eternal wisdom and knowledge. It will outlast this world. It will last, outlast everything that you can see around you. It is the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. That's an eternal knowledge. That's an eternal power when we realize who we are not and we realize who He is. 
And I believe that they have to come in that order. Every time that God has broken me, I have realized who I am not first. And then he shows me who he is. If you think back and reflect on your life, and I'm a big person about reflection and things that happen because there's things that can be learned from the past. And you can look around you. I was just just talking to, to Grant back there. Uh, he's learned that you don't wear costumes at church. He didn't experience that himself, but he learned from somebody that did wear a costume at church. You don't always have to make the mistake yourself, and you don't always have to, to live through it to learn from it. But the things that we learn and the wisdom that we seek need to be eternal things. We need to seek the wisdom of God. We need to seek God's knowledge. We need to seek God's strength in everything that we do because our own is perishable. It's going to go away. At some juncture, you're going to come to a point where you don't know enough. At some juncture, you're going to come to a point where you're not strong enough. And if you've got no backup, you're left at the point where you don't know enough and you're not strong enough and you might not make it. But if we realize who we are not first, then we can realize who God is. Because when you're not strong enough, you know that you serve a God that is. When you don't know enough, you know you serve a God that does. He is everything that you're not for a reason. Verse 26, I love this one, says, For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, and not many noble are called. That was kind of a humbling experience for me. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things that are mighty. You look at Moses. He chose Moses to go speak to a king. Moses had a speech impediment. He chose David to fight Goliath. He was the least of the brothers. And I think the reason he chose these people is because they knew who they were not. They knew that their strength and their mercy and their compassion relied in a God that they served. And that's who they fell on. In times of adversity, in times where the mountain seems unsurmountable, that you can't climb any higher, that you can't go any faster, that you've got a God that can, that you've got a God that will pick up and carry you, that you've got a God that will give you the next foothold so that you can climb higher, that you can go farther, that you can move faster than you ever thought possible on your own. Because that's my God. My God's taking me places that I can never get by myself. Here, 
He's taken me here. He's brought me here into this moment. He's brought you here into this church. You're not here on accident. You're here for a purpose because God devised a plan that you might be here this morning to share in the fellowship, that you could share in His Word, that you could share in His compassion and His grace and His mercy, and that you could feel His love with other people that are searching for the same thing. I preached at a church for a while down in Horseshoe Bend that on a good day would have 40 people and on a bad day you might have four. But there was always four to six to seven people that would come every Sunday and they came hungry for the Word of God. And when you're standing behind the pulpit and you've got a congregation that comes to you hungry seeking the Word of God, all you have to do is step out of the way and let God move on their heart because that's what they're here for. They're not here to support a human. They're not here to support a building. They're here seeking God with everything that they have. How often do we go to church seeking God with everything that we have. How many people this morning woke up and said, I'm going to go to church because I can feel the change coming and I want God in my life and I want Him to make a change today. I don't care what that change is because I know if God's making the change, that change is going to be good and it's going to be what it's supposed to be and I'm going to gain power from it and I'm going to gain wisdom from it and I'm going to benefit by being in the presence of God this morning and that's why I want to go to church. Who rolled out of bed and said that this morning? It's a shame that I don't do it more often. It's a shame that I get up and I'm like, here we go again. Here's another day, but every day is an opportunity when you're seeking God's presence in your life. And when you seek a God factor, every day is an opportunity that you might be able to share the gospel, that you might be able to save a life for eternity. But we've got to realize that when we wake up in the morning, this day is not our purpose. This day is God's purpose. He has a plan. All I've got to do is be obedient and everything will work out. He uses the word endure a lot. I didn't say it was going to be easy, but I said everything will work out. Because he says those who endure till the end. Some days are going to be good. Some days aren't going to be so good. But guess what? Every day when you're serving a God that loves you, every day is good. Paul sat in prison and said, this is a good day because I'm here because I was doing what God would have me do. Rejoice in it. I'm sitting in prison. I'm happy. I'm happy that I'm here because I know that I am here doing what God would have me do. The world's persecuting me because I'm lifting the name of my God higher. I'm happy. Don't be sorry for me. Don't cry for me. Rejoice from it. Gain strength from God and keep moving forward. Who gets excited in their sorrows? Who rejoices in their weak times? We talked about pride a lot this morning. Not a lot of people rejoice when they feel like they can't accomplish A lot of the testimonies and testimony that I've heard is when people get to rock bottom. Those to me are the most impactful testimonies that you will ever hear is because God stripped them down to bare minimum and they realized that the only strength I have in God 
and the relationship that he builds with them at that moment is a lasting relationship that they will always be able to stand on and share with other people. Because God stripped me down to nothing. I realized that I was nobody. And he has built me and made me the person that I am today. And here's what I stand on. I stand on God and his promises that he gives me in this book. And every last word that is in that book. Because I know that it is true and that it is beneficial. Some of us are a little harder headed than others. Some of us are just a, a, a victim of circumstance. But the fact that you can benefit out of being stripped down to nothing is fantastic. I know that it's hard to find glory and to praise a God as you're being stripped down and as you're being broken. But if you're seeking God in everything that you do and with every ounce of your being, you're going to see it and you're going to say, God, I don't know how long this is going to last, but I know it's going to last as long as you want it to. And I know it's going to last until I am ready to receive what you would have for me. And God, I know that once I reach the bottom that you're going to be there. You're my rock solid and you're going to help build me back up in a way that's going to be stronger than I ever thought possible before. Because God, I'm seeking you in this situation and I know matter how bad that it gets, how long that it lasts, God, that you are mine and I am yours. And this is a building process and I might be sacrificing myself that others may see me. But God, I know that you're doing everything for the glory of your kingdom. I admire Paul. Man, he saw it that way. He said, in my life, for my death, it doesn't matter. I'm here glorifying the king. And he didn't care that he died. He got beat and abused more times than any one of us can count. And Christ did the same thing. For us. As we read on down through here. Verse 29. I'm going to back up to 28. And it says, And base things of the world, and things which are despised, God hath chosen you, and things which are not to bring to naught things that are, that no flesh should glory to his pres- in his presence. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God has made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Those four things we can never have on our own. They come from God himself. Wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. You have to know who you are not to know who he is. He's full of wisdom. He is righteous. He is sanctified. And he's a redeemer. You have to realize that you are none of those things before you can realize that you need those things. If you think that you're smart enough to get into heaven, you do not know that you need God's wisdom. If you think that you're strong enough that you can bully your way into heaven, you're not going to lie on God's strength. If you think you are good enough that you can redeem your own sin, you're not going to realize that you need a redeemer. And realizing who we are not 
we can realize who he is. Verse 31, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. Starting in chapter 2, and it says, I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and him crucified. And as I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling, and my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and the power of God, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. When you're facing somebody, when you're facing an obstacle, when you're facing a person, when you're facing a relationship, when you're facing a son or a daughter or a mother or a father or a cousin or a long-lost friend, this is one of those power verses, man. This is saying, I didn't come to you with my speech and my, pre- my preaching or the enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit of the power. He didn't come on his own. He's not saving people on his own. He comes by God's wisdom and God's power. And these are the things that I'm doing because of what God's done inside of me. So when you attack these obstacles, when you overcome these powers, when you're praying demons out of people, when you're giving them knowledge of wisdom of the truth to come, as Jesus Christ crucified, you can go to them in the spirit and the power of God and not on your own. Amen? That's an important thing. I go in my own, I'm going to fall on my face. And I'm not going to show them a whole lot. Watch this. Bow. That's not going to make a whole lot of difference to them. But if I go in the saving grace and the knowledge and the wisdom and the power that God has put inside of me through His Spirit, then it's not me talking. It's God talking. I'm just being an instrument. God has power. God has wisdom. God has knowledge. Not me. Mine falls short every time. But when I stand on the words of God and the power of the Spirit, that's when things start to change. That's when people start to move. That's when lives become affected. Is when I surrender everything that I am and become everything that God would have me be. We're going to open up the altars. We're also going to have communion today. And I'm going to combine this time because I think it's very important for you to know the consequences of taking communion out of order. I'm going to read you this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 28, it says, But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup, For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause, many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. Will you please stand with me? As we open up the altars this morning, let's examine ourselves. And it goes right along with everything that God has had for me to say this morning. We've got to examine ourselves, and we've got to figure out what we are not. 
so that we can start putting God in every place that we are not. And I can assure you, if you think you're something, go back and reread what I've said today. Go back and read it for yourself and contemplate on these words. It says, God had chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wisdom. He's chosen the weak to overcome the mighty. Because the strongest things in this world mean nothing where I'm going. I'm happy for that. I'm happy for that. So as we take time this morning to examine and reflect on, on where we've come from, And as we examine and reflect ourselves before we commune together, if you've got any beef with anybody, if your heart is heavy laden and it's things that you can no longer carry, he says, come to me. Come to me. Come to the altar this morning that you might drop that load off, that you can walk back to your families a renewed man, a better husband, a better father, a better son, a better brother. Because when we allow this world in, we're taking up God's space. We've got to kick the world out. And we have to protect the things that God has given us. So examine yourselves this morning. If you've got things bothering you this morning, come lay it at the foot of the cross. If you're carrying heavy things this morning, lay it at the foot of the cross. And that way, after it's laid down and you go back to your seat, you can commune together without the burdens of this world. And you've become more of a person that God wants you to be and less of the person that the world wants you to be. God does such wonderful things for us. Let God be in control today. Let God take everything that you think you are and make you everything that he thinks you are. 